Well, Genesis chapter 29, uh, last week we left off with um, talking about Nathaniel in, in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 relates to Genesis chapter uh, 29, um, because uh, in Genesis chapter 28, um, we we looked at the dream that Jacob had had when he left Beersheba. He was out in the middle of nowhere laying his head on a rock because that's all he had um, to go to sleep that night. And uh, God visited Jacob in a dream. And uh, in that dream, he saw a ladder and there were angels ascending and descending on this ladder. This ladder stretched from earth to heaven, and at the top of that ladder was uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. And uh, this was God encouraging Jacob in spite of Jacob's sinfulness, his deceitfulness, and having fleeing his family because his brother uh, Esau wanted to kill him. Um, there in that barren desert, Uh, God spoke to Jacob and said, Jacob, I am going to be with you. Not only was I with your grandfather and your father, but I am going to be with you and I am going to bless you. And it was in that time, it was in that moment that God became Jacob's God. And so now here we are in chapter 29, and uh, Jacob has a, an energy in his step because he knows he's not fleeing alone. He's not leaving, going to Haran alone. The God, the Jehovah God, uh, goes before Jacob, and he is going to be with him. So... Um, so yeah, Nathaniel was uh, thinking about that story in John chapter one, and and uh, Jesus called Nathaniel to be one of his disciples. And uh, the Bible describes Jesus having seen Nathaniel under a fig tree, and Philip had gone to Nathaniel and said, "I have found the Messiah." And so Philip brings Nathaniel to Jesus. And uh, Jesus sees Nathaniel, and he says, "Oh, the you know here is a person in whom there is no guile. There is no deceit. You are the you are the real deal. You are genuine. You are a person of character." And when Nathaniel heard that, he thought to himself, "How do you know me?" How did you know what I was thinking? And he was just so impressed with Jesus's words. And uh, he realized that this was the Messiah. And Jesus said, if you're impressed with that, you haven't seen nothing yet. Uh, You know, you're going to see the the son of man um, uh, as the latter, you know, I am the ladder, Jacob, and you're going to see the angels of heaven ascending and descending on me. I am the one that's going to bridge the gap between heaven and earth. I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. And so knowing this, Nathaniel followed Jesus. And so... Here we are in chapter 29, and um, we're going to read a very unusual story. This is a story that we're very familiar with, but uh, I was, as I was looking at the text again last night, uh, my granddaughter uh, Macy was in my office uh, with me and told her a little bit about the story, and uh, she said, that's cray cray, <laughs> which meaning in seven-year-old terminology, that is crazy. How could that have happened? Well, 
It happens when we make poor choices. It happens when we choose sin over righteousness. It happens when you mix alcohol with a celebration. A lot of alcohol. And so here we see Jacob... He's heading to Haran now. He's excited about the fact that God goes before him. But you know what? He's still a sinner. He still makes poor choices. And he's going to be confronted with his deceitfulness. I thought about, you know, what to call this um, message this morning. Uh, One one title is, uh, The Deceiver Deceived. But then another title I thought of was What Goes Around Comes Around. (laughs) And so uh, Jacob, who is a deceiver, who has deceived his brother, who has deceived his father, uh, now comes to Haran, and he's going to meet a man by the name of Laban. And he is just as much a deceiver as well. And guess what? God is going to use all of this to put a mirror in front of Jacob's faith and help him to see uh, who he is, uh, his sinfulness, and how God's going to use this to help him become more like his God, Jesus Christ. So let's begin with uh, verse 1. Of chapter 29. Then Jacob went on his journey, came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered, were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to to them, my brothers, where do you come from? And they said, we are from Haran. And he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. And he said to them, Is it well with him? And they said, It is well. And see, Rachel his daughter is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Is it? Is it? It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still speaking to with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to the house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were uh, weak, 
But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob moved. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give to you, give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Uh, stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. So Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife, and Laban gave his female servant Bilhah Bilhah, to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Well, this is a very interesting story, isn't it? Who can imagine? But this is in the Bible and uh, there is much to be shared about this story. I want to just uh, point out from chapter 29, we're going to break this into four sections this morning. Uh, verses 1 through 8 is the divine appointment. And then in verses 9 through 14, we see the attraction and the welcome. And then verses 15 through 20, we see the marital arrangement And then in verses 21 through 30, we see uh, the sinful action. So the divine appointment. As I've said, uh, Jacob is leaving uh, the land of Canaan. He's going to Haran. His mother, uh, Rebecca, has told Jacob, you need to go to my brother's house. You need to go to my, my brother Laban, your uncle your uncle Laban, and you need to find a wife. And so Jacob's being obedient at this point, and he's going to um, to Haran. Now, how old is Jacob right now? He's in his late 70s, church. Yeah. This is a mama's boy that, uh, you know, just can't, uh, he's, he's still, you know, listening to his parents, which is not a bad thing. But uh, here is a man set in his late 70s who's uh, still single and listening, obeying his mother, and going to Haran. So he's, he's let leaving. He knows that God goes before him. And so he comes to Haran. He sees a well. Now, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because this is how uh, Isaac found his wife, Rebecca. Now, Isaac didn't go to Haran. Abraham wouldn't allow Isaac to go to Haran. But uh, Abraham sent his servant, Eleazar, to Haran to find a wife for Isaac. And what did Eleazar do? He went to the well near Haran. Because this is the place where the women would gather for water, and uh, this was the place where shepherds would uh, would water their flocks. And so uh, here we see Jacob using this same 
strategy. And uh, lo and behold, the shepherds know who Laban is, and they point out the fact that, yeah, he's doing well, Laban's doing well, and in fact, here comes his daughter, Rachel. And uh, Laban is thinking, or Jacob is thinking to himself, man, things are beginning to fall in place here. I'm feeling a bit hopeful right off the bat. And uh, lo and behold, this is a divine appointment. I want us to understand this morning that when it comes to um, God working, uh, God uh, being sovereign, he's in control of every step, every detail that we go through. This is a divine appointment between Jacob and Rachel. God is orchestrating all the details. This is not a coincidence. Coincidence isn't in God's vocabulary. God is sovereign and he is orchestrating all these events. And just as he's orchestrating the, the events between Jacob and Rachel, God is orchestrating the events of your life as well. Every single detail. Tomorrow is going to be the 43rd anniversary of me having introduced myself to Susan for the very first time. We were at, um, we were at Cal Baptist and we were registering for classes and I saw Susan across the way in the, in the BOL, the Book of Life building, And when I laid eyes on her, I thought to myself, I need to meet this girl. And it wasn't an accident. God was in every detail. I went up to Susan and I introduced myself. And, um, uh, you know, the next day was going to be August the 29th. It was going to be my birthday. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm throwing a birthday party for myself. I think I will invite this girl to my birthday party. And lo and behold, it was her birthday as well. And she already had plans. She didn't want to come to my birthday. And so, but the the rest is history. But you know, you think to yourself, What a coincidence. No, it wasn't a coincidence. God was working out every single detail in in that encounter. And God brought me to the woman of my dreams. And my, how God has blessed me all these 43 years. I'm not sure she can say the same thing about me. She's done most, most of the sacrificing. But uh, I'm grateful to God for what uh, he, he has done. And, but yet God was in it all. You know what? God delights in bringing the woman to the man. He brought the woman to, to Isaac... He brought the woman to Jacob. He brought the woman to Adam. <laughs> Go back to Genesis chapter 3. What did Adam have to do to find Eve? Just go to sleep. <laughs> God was going to do the rest. And, uh, and so, guys, for those of you who aren't married yet, let me just encourage you to just rest in the Lord. If it's God's will for your life to find the woman of your dreams, God is going to make it happen. And you just need to trust his sovereignty. 
Proverbs 31, verse 10 says, An excellent wife who can find. Man in the flesh cannot find that excellent wife. It is God who can find that excellent wife for you. And God directs all the affairs of his providence and will bring the right person to you in God's perfect if it's his will. And you think to yourself, you're asking, Pastor, are you positive? How can you be so sure? How can God be so interested in all the itty-bitty details of one's life. Church, we serve a great big God. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. Should think about that for a second. The universe, our galaxy, was created by the breath of his mouth. Our God, our God is beyond our imagination. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And God is big enough to be involved in the little itty bitty details of your life. He created these things with the breath of his mouth. The sun. Our sun is enormous, but compared to the, to the stars of the rest of the galaxy and of the universes, Astronomers, scientists tell us that uh, our sun is a very average star. But when you compare the earth, you know how many earths will fit into the sun? 960 earths. And God created the sun by the breath of his mouth. But there's another sun I want to point you to that's in our galaxy. And they call it Betelgeuse. It's got another name, but uh, Betelgeuse is easier to remember. And uh, Betelgeuse is 427 light years from Earth. Still in our galaxy, and that's a very short di- distance compared to the rest of our galaxy. The, the width of our gal- Milky Way galaxy, you know how long it takes to travel from one end of the Milky Way to the other end? 107,000 light years. And again, I'm going to remind you, he has created it by the breath of his mouth. Now, when it comes to Betelgeuse, if you compare the, our sun to Betelgeuse, you know how big Betelgeuse is? It's twice as big, not of the sun, but of the rotation of the, the, rotation of the sun, of the, of the earth around the sun. That's how big Betelgeuse is in a, in a year. That's how big. That's where Betelgeuse fits. Now, if the earth was a golf ball, how many golf balls would it take to fill up Betelgeuse? It would take 200 and 62 trillion Earths to fill up Betelgeuse. And if you use a golf ball 
as the earth, it would require, it would fill up the Superdome, 262 trillion golf balls to fill up the Superdome 3,000 times. That's how big Beetlejuice is. And God created it by the breath of his mouth. But Beetlejuice isn't even the biggest star. There's a bigger star than Beetlejuice that's still in our galaxy. And that star is Canis Majoris. If the earth was a golf ball, how many earths, how many golf balls or earths would it take to fill up Canis Majoris, this, this sun? It would, it would require seven quadrillion earths to fill up Canis Majoris. You know what that looks like? Seven quadrillion If you took a golf ball, if you took seven quadrillion golf balls, if you filled up Texas in golf balls 22 inches high, that's how many golf balls it would take, or earths it would take to fill up Canis Majoris. And we're just scratching the surface. You know, I said that this Milky Way galaxy is one. It's only one. You know how many galaxies astronomers are estimating based upon the Hubble telescope and now um, the James Webb telescope? It used to be in the billions. But astronomers are now estimating, no, when it comes to the number of galaxies in our universe... It could be as many as two trillion. We live in only one of those galaxies. And my friend, God created all of it, all of it with the breath of his mouth. This is how big our minds can't even wrap around. Can God handle the little details of your life? Absolutely. He is sovereign. And when Jacob saw that ladder stretching from earth to heaven, and Jesus was at the top of that ladder, at the side of that ladder, that's indicating that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is over all of it. That's your God. That's my God. That's Jacob's God and Isaac's God and Abraham's God. Church, we can trust him. So when it comes to the person God would have you to marry, you know, don't be caught up in in trying to find this person, be focused on being the right person that God would have you to be married to. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 9 and 21 says, A man's heart plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Proverbs 19, 21, Many plans are in a heart man's heart, but the purpose of the Lord will prevail. And God's purposes are being fulfilled as we read this passage of scripture. God's plans are going to prevail. God is sovereign in all the details, including the sin. God's not the author of sin. But God is not surprised by the sin. He is sovereign over it, and he's going to use it for our good and his glory. And there's lots of sin in this story, 
But in spite of it, God's plan is being fulfilled. And so here we see Rachel coming and uh, Jacob, he's in a hurry here. Jacob sees Rachel and he wants these guys to get out of the way. You know, water your sheep. It's time to water your sheep. And uh, they say, no, it's not time yet. They're a bit lazy. And so here we see in verses 9 through 14 that uh, Isaac or uh, Rachel comes. And let's look at this again. Verse 9, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock. Now, you need to understand this stone. This stone is covers the entire well. It's a big stone, and it takes two or three people to move this stone. Well, these shepherds weren't about to move that stone out of the way uh, right away. And so what does Jacob do? He takes it upon himself and he moves the stone himself so that Rachel's flock could be watered. What's Jacob doing here? He's flexing for Rachel. <laughs> He's showing Rachel just how, how big uh, and strong he is. And he wants some time with Rachel. Jacob is very interested in Rachel. He knows that this is his uncle's daughter. This is why he's come to Iran. And so he's interested. He's attracted to her. And so he's motivated to show off. And so in verse 11, the Bible says, Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Boy, this is where it gets kind of cringy, okay? A bit awkward. He's on the fast track here. So he's, he's rolled the stone. He's taken that stone off the well. He's watered the flock. And now he goes up and he kisses Rachel. And he weeps aloud. He tells her his story. That he's her relative. That they're, they're cousins. And so... Jacob knows that uh, God is obviously working in this place, but uh, it's rather awkward. And uh, from there, the Bible says that she runs to her father. And uh, I'm not sure she's running away from Jacob. She's just excited about who she's met. Now, when I met Susan, she ran away from me. Okay, I had to chase her down. But uh, J- uh, Rachel is going to her father to tell him all uh, that has happened. And so in verses 15 through 20, Laban learns about this, and he's very excited. Here is there, Here is his sister's son. Here is Rebecca's son. And uh, he's come to uh, find a bride. And so he runs to uh, Jacob. He introduces himself, learns of his story. He's probably thinking that, uh, you know what? Uh, Jacob has a lot of money because when Eliezer came for Rebecca, uh, Eliezer had lots of things to give to the, to the, to the family. Jacob's not in that situation. Jacob had to leave everything. He had to flee for his life. So he has nothing. So Laban learns of this. And in uh, verse verse 15, it says, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. And, uh, And so... Jacob's been thinking about this. He's very interested in Rachel, and so he's willing to serve Laban. Laban has lots of possessions. He has lots of flocks. And so he's willing to serve Laban, he says, for seven years. Now, he didn't have a dowry. He didn't have anything to pay the father for a bride. And, uh, and so when he said seven years... This is really about twice amount of, of the amount of money that is required for a dowry. 
Okay, so when he's seven, seven years, he's going beyond uh, what's required. And uh, Laban agrees. And uh, after seven years, uh, Laban says, you can have Rachel as your wife. And and so this is what has transpired in verses uh, 15 through 20. And then in verse 21, the Bible says, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. It's now seven years later. He has fulfilled his word. He says, Give me my wife. And uh, Laban agrees that uh, it's, it's now time. And in verse 22, the Bible says, So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. Okay, when you see that word feast in the Hebrew, you know, it's not your typical Baptist potluck. Okay? <laughs> Uh, this word for feast in the Hebrew uh, includes lots of drinking. There's a lot of alcohol involved. If you go to uh, Esther chapter 5, uh, the Bible says that uh, the king had made a feast and the king was good and drunk and he asked Esther, uh, or told Esther, you can have half of my kingdom. And the only reason why he said that was because he was inebriated. Okay, he didn't know what he was saying. And so that's the picture in this um, wedding celebration that's taking place in Genesis chapter 9. There is a lot of drinking. And then here we see in verses 25, well, let's read it again. Verse 23, but in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went in, and Jacob went into Leah. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Jacob is shocked. It's not Rachel. And when I told this to Macy, she asked, How in the world could that happen? It's because Jacob was drunker than a skunk. He had made a poor choice. But Laban is to, be, to, is to blame as well. He is a deceiver in this moment. And this was his plan all along. And so the deceiver, Jacob, is deceived by Laban. Jacob has met his match. Jacob has been Jacobed in this text. Now understand, Jacob's life has been forgiven. Jacob is a child of God. God is Jacob's God. From chapter 28, just a chapter before. But we're still sinners. We see Jacob as still a sinner. And as Jacob progresses now in his walk with the Lord, just because God has forgiven him of sin doesn't mean there's not going to be consequences for his sin. And so Laban or Jacob is learning what living in a a life of deception can do to others. Jacob left a deceiver. He had hurt his father. He had hurt his brother. He was a schemer. And so 
Now Jacob is looking at himself in a mirror. You know, when I was a youth pastor at uh, Emmanuel Highland, I had the privilege, and it was a privilege, to be the youth pastor to uh, our senior pastor's kids. <laughs> but uh, Stephen's, Stephen was a handful when he was in high school. And I remember Sue telling Stephen when he was in high school, Stephen, I'm praying that you have four boys just like you. Well, a few years later, uh, Sue got acquired cancer and she passed away. But uh, Stephen went on to marry and have children. Guess how many children he had? (laughs) Four boys are just like Stephen. (laughs) And he told me I can hear my mother's voice all the time telling me what I was going to have. You know, God has a sense of humor. (laughs) And God uses these details in our life to to show us our sinfulness, uh, but to correct us and bring us more into the image of Jesus Christ and how God is using those four boys in Stephen's life and how God is using Laban in Jacob's life. You know, when Jacob first came to Iran, met Rachel right away, I'm sure Jacob is thinking to himself, boy, things are really working out. Things are really falling into place. And lo and behold, yes, they are. Because God wasn't just going to use Rachel, but God was going to use Laban to draw Jacob uh, into who Jacob truly needed to be. God is going to be molding Jacob's life, preparing him for when he's eventually going to see Esau again, 20 years later. And Jacob is going to be a different man because of God working in Jacob's life. And so here we see Laban having deceived Jacob, and he gives her Leah to begin with, and her maid. And so Jacob is going to have these two women as uh, his wife. And then Jacob's upset. How could you deceive me? You know, those are very familiar words to what Esau had told Jacob. And, and so Laban says, well, I'll give you Rachel if you uh, serve me another seven years. And so a week later, uh, Rachel uh, becomes Jacob's wife as, lo- as, well, as, as well as her maidservant. And, uh, you know, you might think, well, this was such a blessing. No, this is, this is going to be painful. Here, Jacob has gone from a life of singleness for 70 plus years and within a week's period of time he's going to have four wives in his life because of a poor choice that Jacob made because of the deceitfulness of Laban It's going to be an ugly looking family. There is going to be a lot of pain and sorrow in Jacob's life in the future. But in spite of that pain, you know what? God is going to tremendously bless and birth the nation of Israel. God is sovereign over his whole plan. And his whole plan includes sin. 
But God is not the author of sin. And God is going to use this to birth the nation of Israel. So it's an ugly situation. It's going to be a miserable situation. It's a polygamous situation. I'm wondering, after now he has four wives, and we're going to continue to look at Jacob's life. I'm wondering if he's thinking, you know, where's the ladder? <laughs> where's, where's the God in this story? You know, it was... It was so wonderful, chapter 28, and knowing that God was with me, and I'm heading to Haran, and it's beginning to work out. But now here, several years later, where's the ladder? Where's God's presence? Church, it hasn't moved. God continues to go and to be with Jacob and he's never going to leave him. Jacob has probably just forgotten just like you and me. God is sovereign over every single detail even in the midst of human failure. And yet our loving and gracious Heavenly Father is going to hold us accountable for every decision we make. There will be consequences to our sin. Even as God's children. But the wonderful news is that Jesus came and he died for all our sin. And when God looks upon his children, he doesn't see us in our sinfulness, he sees us in Jesus' righteousness. We are covered by the blood of the Lamb. That doesn't give us permission to sin. And God holds us accountable for the choices we make. Just as God is holding Jacob to the choices that he's made. But in spite of those choices, God's plan is continuing to be fulfilled. That's our God. He is a big God. And just as he created everything by the breath of his mouth, he's intimately acquainted with all our ways and to help us in all of our weaknesses in spite of our sinfulness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for Jacob's life and my, how he's made lots of mistakes. We're going to see more consequences of his sinful choices. God, we understand the consequences of sinful choices because we make stupid mistakes as well. But Lord, I pray that in spite of those consequences, we would know your love and forgiveness, the presence of your of who you are in each of our situations. God, you are there, and your word is clear. You're never going to leave us 
or forsake us. Thank you, Father, for that promise. If you're here this morning, and if you've never humbled yourself and asked God to forgive you of your sin, believe what Christ has done for you, that he, he went to the cross in your place and took the punishment that you deserved and died for your sin. But three days later, conquered sin and death by coming out of that grave. If you've never told him that you believe this and that you want to know him as your God, today could be the day of your salvation. Confess your sin. Repent. Begin to live your life for him. Tell him you believe and you will be saved. Doesn't mean your life will be perfect. Doesn't mean your life won't be full of problems. But you won't be alone. God holds you and will never let you go. Father, I pray for people who are struggling today. Pray for your children who are struggling today. God, they're, they're facing some, some, some things about their near future. May you know, may they know you are that ladder. And that you have come down to them. And you are with them. Give them the strength that they need to go through the circumstances that God you have sovereignly ordained for your glory and their benefit. Give them that peace and that confidence that they need. Thank you, Father, for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.